Hello and welcome to another episode of That CI Podcast, That Creative Industries Podcast. My name is Ash and I will be your host. Today I'm chatting with Peter Campbell about his book, Persistent Creativity, Making the Case for Art, Culture and the Creative Industries. Peter is Senior Lecturer in Sociology and Social Policy at the University of Liverpool in the UK. Now, before we start the interview, a couple of housekeeping things. First of all, keep backup files. Uh, This interview was recorded quite a while ago now, and it's taken me until now to recover the lost data. So keep backup files. I mean, everyone should know that by now, including myself, but uh, apparently we need reminding. Other things, if you like that CI podcast, if you like the project, you can support us in a couple of ways. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter at that CI podcast. You can also sign up to that CI newsletter, which comes out every week and features a roundup of the best articles that I've been able to find about the creative industries. And finally, if you're feeling generous, you can sign up to Patreon and support the project. That's at patreon.com slash that CI podcast. So with all of that out of the way, I began the interview with Peter Campbell in the usual way by asking him to explain who he is and what he does. So I'm uh, Peter Campbell. I'm based at the uh, University of Liverpool. I've been there for quite a while now, and I'm a kind of uh, lecturer in the sociology of culture, cultural policy, that kind of thing. Uh, I also teach and research kind of around research methods, and um, I've kind of researched a bunch of different um, things, mostly based on uh, culture policy in the UK, looking at things like capital of culture competitions, the uh, cultural Olympiad, this kind of thing. So uh, that's, um, that's what I do. The cultural Olympiad, I know that the EU has various sort of um, uh, cities of culture um, events that they, that they hold. So, so w- what are these about? What's going on? What, what is going on indeed? A good, a good question. So I suppose the, the, the cultural Olympiad is, is something that I guess in an ideal world, lots of people would know about, but it seems very few people actually do, uh, which is one of the things I guess that came out of the research into that. So I think, I think the idea is, is that alongside the uh, Olympic Games, which I think is, is a reasonably uh, prominent festival, uh, that there's this kind of cultural kind of adjunct to the Olympics. Um, so, you know, kind of when you win the Olympics, you know what you're getting. You're getting, you know, your 100 metres and your high jump and all this kind of thing. But there's also going to be this cultural programme that runs alongside it. And, um, yeah, I think it's probably fair to say that, you know, a lot of people don't know it exists. So one of the things that my research is looking at is kind of, you know, what is the impact of these kinds of events? And I suppose the first question might be, well, if not that many people know about these events, how, how big an impact can they be said to have? That said, I mean, you know, when, when the Olympics was last uh, in this country, it was last in the UK, the uh, 2012 Cultural Olympiad had a whole kind of range of events up and down the country. And I think, I think probably these kinds of festivals and um, capital culture programs and these kinds of policy, um, th- these things that are kind of driven by policy, a lot of the problem with the kind of awareness around them is people might be going to events, but not necessarily realizing oh, this is part of that particular festival this is part of that particular event um so things like the uh so the european capital of culture program that's um has existed in a, in a range of different forms which i could get into the nitty-gritty of but probably isn't worth it that's existed for for about oh my goodness about 30 odd years now um and this i suppose was an attempt uh, again at a kind of 
uh, international policy level to try and give uh, a kind of human face to the European project. So it's not just about kind of uh, trade and customs unions and these kinds of things, but that we're also trying as part of this political project to celebrate the cultural uh, achievements of Europe such as they are. And so the idea was that there would this be this kind of revolving um capital of culture title that would be hosted by a, a European country uh, each year. Initially, it's kind of moved to multiple countries now, and that in each of those countries, we could celebrate uh, the common cultural heritage of Europe, and that would be kind of a, a valuable thing to do. Again, in practice, whether that really happens and how much people are aware of what's going on with those competitions is a bit more of a question mark, but that's sort of spread out now in many different countries to not just kind of national um capital of culture awards or cities of culture awards but even kind of now down to uh, towns of culture uh, boroughs of culture these kinds of things a sense that there's a there's a model here that can be replicated is this something that uh, the UK will largely lose access to after brexit so the the European capital of culture of competition, I think I think I'm right in saying that because there's a kind of set timetable for that, that you know you, you know within uh, you know you know kind of a few years down the line where it's due to be coming to, and so the the UK kind of had its first turn in 1990 when Glasgow was uh, the European uh, capital of culture, then in 2008 uh, Liverpool was the European capital of culture, and I believe the bidding was underway. Um, around the time of the Brexit referendum and, and kind of it doesn't always have to be a competitive process but a lot of countries decide that there should be some kind of internal competition and that will get the kind of best results and so the competition was was underway for, for the UK's next European uh, capital of culture and basically um, they were uh, unceremoniously told that then the kind of you know we didn't have that chance anymore that wouldn't be happening however um, the, the UK now has its own city of culture uh, competition that comes around every every four years, I guess. Uh, and again, that was kind of established shortly after the the European Capital of Culture uh, Award came to the UK for the second time. There was this idea that well, we shouldn't wait a kind of a couple of decades for it to be the UK's turn to have this international award. We can we can have our own award and we can we can spread these benefits around uh, ourselves. So so yeah, the um, the uh, Whatever shape Brexit takes, um, it seems like European capitals of culture are not on the agenda for the UK in the uh, near future. Could you explain your kind of career path to, to, to get into this area? Um, I, I can make it sound like it made sense, even though it didn't necessarily feel that way at the time. Um, so I was um, so I was initially working. I suppose the, the first kind of major piece of work I did in this area is um, when the um, so the even though the uh, European Capital of Culture was last held in the UK in two thousand and eight, uh, I think the award itself was decided back in two thousand and three. It was decided that kind of Liverpool had won the internal competition. For the UK, uh, for the UK's hosting that title, and so as part of that, somewhat unusually, um, there'd been kind of research into the effects of these kinds of events before, but nothing really kind of substantial. You might kind of get research into what's going on in the year. You might get research kind of looking a little bit before and a little bit afterwards, but there hadn't really been any kind of attempt to do a, a serious piece of longitudinal research and Liverpool 
school, um, in its wisdom, the kind of local administration decided that that would be a good idea that we could demonstrate what was happening in this place if we kind of established this research program um, beforehand and kind of tracked what was happening with it um, through the actual year itself and then we'd be able to gather this kind of evidence base. And so for a little while, I was the research assistant to, to that research program, which uh, was called Impacts 08. Um, what are the impacts going to be of this 2008 competition? But also as part of that um, research program, we were trying to kind of draw in ways of kind of expanding that research. And so the kind of research councils that fund a lot of academic research in the UK, uh, we applied to those for kind of kind of side projects of research, including uh, a PhD um, pro funded PhD program that was going to look into kind of, well, these kind of cultural festivals, what effects they have uh, around creative industries. And as the assistant to that program, um, I was kind of uh, aware of this funded PhD that was available and thought, well, I might be the kind of person that could do some uh, doctoral research. I'll throw my hat into the ring for that. Um, and so I ended up doing that PhD project, um, which led to kind of a lectureship in a sociology department. And um, that's the kind of thing I've been doing ever since, really. And I get the feeling in looking at uh, in looking at this book that you've written that the ideas of measuring value and of uh, putting creativity and of uh, creative policy efforts under the microscope uh, may have stemmed from this. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose early on, the the even even within the the research program, looking at the capital of culture itself, often I was kind of tasked as the assistance to that of that to that research program of you know well what do we know about this what can we find out about this and often it seemed to me even at those early stages that what kind of categories we were using to understand these things um, what benefits we were expecting there was a lot of um, murkiness around the definition of these things and so the the starting points I suppose on paper for the PhD research was going to be well you know what are the impacts that you know a European Capital of Culture program would have on the creative industries what benefits might it have and I suppose uh, the very early stages I tried to kind of step back from that and say well what is this festival what what are these creative industries why would we even expect there to be an impact if there was one how could we look at it and really trying to go back um and try and dig out all of those assumptions that seem to be being made in this area of, of things that were assumed to be known and assumed to be quite easily researchable and easily measurable and say, well, hang on, what are we really looking at here? What's really going on and how can we know? And I suppose I'm still doing that uh, to, to some degree in a lot of these areas. Some answers to those questions are, are, are in a book called Persistent Creativity, Making the Case for Art, Culture and the Creative Industries. You could start anywhere, really, but I'm interested in, in the term persistent creativity. What is it and, and why did you choose it? So the, the reason I chose that is I suppose towards the end of my PhD research, um, I, I suppose I, I cast in in many ways cast kind of quite a, a skeptical, critical eye over over that process of of making the case for art, culture, and the creative industries that's referenced in the title to the book. And it seemed as I was finishing the PhD that kind of an an era that had been in the ascendant for quite a while might be in some ways kind of 
it might have had its day that there were certain arguments around the creative industries that seemed to be uh, the evidence for them was kind of coming under question it wasn't necessarily as prominent as it had been but that seemed to be um, part of part of this I kind of narrate this process in the book um, that's that's ended up being kind of a blip and and the kind of celebratory narrative around creative industries uh, and creativity in these cultural festivals and this kind of thing seemed to even though it has much deeper roots emerged quite quickly in, in its current form and seems to have been remarkably successful in in staying in that current form for quite a while so i guess that's what i'm trying to get at with that idea of persistence that once various bodies kind of get attached to this idea that creativity is the uh the 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 party that we should all be trying to get inside of that stays uh pretty um uh, unchanging for for quite some time now i think you know over the past 20 years um the the edges of it might have changed a little bit but the overall shape of that creativity agenda um has been pretty um solid and pretty stable could you maybe spell out a bit of the, the history of, of, of this creative industry's agenda and, and, and also, you know, what, what is it? What, what are its features and what are its um, sort of goals? Yeah, well, I mean, again, that's that's a big question. I suppose what one of my um, uh, one of the things that I'm trying to achieve in the book is to demonstrate how there's a lot of really underneath what seems quite a unified agenda around creative industries and this kind of apparently unified project and discussion of creativity there's a lot of different things going on under the surface and potentially therefore a lot of kind of um, people talking at cross purposes without realizing it you know one one person's creativity and one person's creative industry is not necessarily uh, another person's and therefore we might institute policies to kind of further creativity without necessarily agreeing on what what that thing actually is um but i suppose in, in terms of kind of its, its its rise to prominence i suppose what we saw in in the late 1990s in, in quite a few places and the political agenda in the uk was very influential in this was a sense that you know to put it very very broadly that kind of the old economy had kind of had its day deindustrialization uh, was occurring bringing with it challenges for various cities in particular locations but there was this new economy that could be encouraged um, that was based around more intangible things like knowledge and information and innovation and creativity gets drawn into that and in kind of some readings of that process it's kind of artistic and cultural kind of forms of creativity that are going to be particularly important and they're kind of useful all these things are useful because they're not as dependent on on physical resources you know you can you can take your laptop and go pretty much anywhere and you know open up your design software and, and hey presto you can be a creative industry you can be a creative entrepreneur you can innovate and therefore some of these economic problems that we might be facing aren't necessarily going to be so problematic we can leverage this power of creativity and also i suppose 
there's this kind of adjunct to that, that these creative, innovative people are going to want to live or visit places that have some kind of thriving cultural scene and, and therefore the, the cities of the future need to uh, be on board with this creativity in, in, in various different ways. So that's the idea. And, uh, you know, some of it is probably um, on some solid foundations and some of it's probably on some more shaky foundations. Yeah, and, and for me, one of the, the shakier foundations um, and going back to this idea of uh, just because we're both using the word creativity doesn't necessarily mean that we're referring to the same thing for the same reasons, uh, is the, the, the DCMS definitions, which were originally used uh, to define the sector, um, included things like um, IT workers. Mm. Yeah, uh, and, and 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 programmers, which uh, is a fine def it's it's a fine definition of creativity um, that that nevertheless uh, could you know differs from my definition. Yeah, and, and one one of the interesting things that I found when it, when I started researching this area is that people and this this still happens uh, in response to to my work to some degree is that people will say yeah yeah you know everyone has a different definition and you know it's not really that important so anyway let's move on and let's just kind of look at the statistics about economic output and uh, I, I you know I remember thinking seeing seeing someone kind of effectively present that very early on thinking well hang on you know the definition is not important but the output the outcome of the definition is very very important that doesn't seem to to add up precisely and and I think I think probably that that inclusion of so that's sort of that that kind of crisis point in in the narrative that I talked about earlier and that I talk about in the book a bit is that at uh, a certain point in kind of the early uh, 2010s I think um, there was kind of this constant revision of, of these statistics and it's eventually decided ah right actually um, these kind of IT and programming things that you mentioned these kinds of occupations and industries they're actually more related to kind of business software applications than creative um, applications you know in, in this wider cultural sense and so they get they get pulled out of the statistics and the statistics around employment and economic output slump um, but then pretty soon afterwards for you know, a range of reasons that are justified in policy documents these jobs go back in to the definition of creativity and what I think is potentially um, might be problematic for some of those more artistic uh, cultural occupations in the future is that there seems to be this kind of shift in the narrative now that's saying well it was difficult to define these things over time but now we're coming to a realization that if we want economic regeneration uh, and we want that kind of economic output then it's it's those other forms of creativity that are the more important ones it's the advertising it's the programming it's the it it's that kind of thing whereas kind of up until uh, relatively recently art's been able to arts in various forms has been able to go along for the ride and say oh, yeah we're creative we're making money great we'll 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 join this party and now it seems there's attempts in some quarters to kind of cleave art back away to its own corner and say well actually no we're more interested in economic output and you're not really invited to that particular part of the party so go and find something else that you're good at which is i think potentially you know going to be an issue in the future so it, it sounds from what you're saying it sounds like the, the the crisis the definitional crisis in the creativity agenda has been resolved or is being resolved uh and it, it looks like the uh the 
the graphic designers and and the the advertising firms have won. Well, but it's it's, it's not so much that it's resolved. It's it's always in this strange kind of flux. Where it's at in the UK at the moment is that um, now when economic output is um, when these reports come out around economic output, you'll see a separating out of uh, creative. Uh, industries and the creative economy from the cultural sector and there's very various parts of the uh, the whole pie have been separated out as, as the cultural parts and not that this is often done but if you kind of plot the cultural line uh, against the creative line it's you know it's much much smaller and it's much much lower and it's not kind of increasing as great a rate and that's where i think there's that 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 problem potentially comes in that whereas previously they were all in the same basket the more we start to separate out the the cultural element and if if, you know if we purely determine value in economic terms we might look at that cultural element and say well this this we were we were promised economic growth we were promised exceptional economic output where is it it isn't here in the cultural sector you know we might then ask well why why on earth would that be the main thing we would expect from a cultural sector but obviously there's a whole uh, there's a whole other story about how that happened I guess my, my, my question to that is um, what, as you see it what is um, what is at stake in um, this kind of I would describe it as a kind of naive faith in in uh, in, in creativity to, to to do something uh, what is what is at stake if, if people get this wrong uh, and and what's what's the potential if they get it right to go back to the book I suppose one of the um the, there's one chapter in particular which because because of the kind of history um, in my research in this area and the history around that European capital of culture process one of the one of the chapters focuses uh, on the city of Liverpool uh, where I'm based and I guess one of the one of the conclusions in that chapter is you know whilst it would be uh, completely incorrect to say there's you know there's nothing you know, there's nothing worth saying about the the legacy of the European capital of culture in the city because there definitely, definitely is, and you know, there's definitely um, worthwhile things going on in the creative industries here. What's uh, you know also going on uh, in in Liverpool uh, at the moment is you know real challenges in kind of broader policy in terms of you know uh, a national government imposing an agenda of austerity, um, really big local government funding cuts, um, historic deprivation in the city for for all kinds of reasons, and I think perhaps one of the one of the dangers with the, that kind of naive view that, that you mentioned is that we might end up you know well in certain places not that it would be you know this stark but we might have you know very very difficult problems to solve and think that this might be a kind of magic wand uh, to, to solve certain issues and, and, an, and an easy magic wand to wave and not necessarily that expensive uh, magic wand. I mean, I know one of the sort of um, uh, caricatures of the creative creativity agenda is kind of like, well, you know, we've got, you know, a, a city facing, you know, uh, all kinds of economic and socioeconomic problems. Let's, you know, spend a few thousand pounds building cycle paths and getting just a coffee shop and hey, presto, it'll all be okay. And obviously, you know, that's, you know, things are more complicated in reality but the kind of um the 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 rapidity with which this agenda was taken up and the popularity of it 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 seems it seems to promise a lot and it seems it does seem to be very very persistent and it does seem to be uh kind of 
impervious to 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 a lot of critique i mean to go to go back to that idea of, of, of cynicism to be kind of against creativity in some way it's like it's, it's like kicking a puppy you know you know you monster who could who could be against creativity uh, and therefore it kind of can, can smuggle in i think a lot of more problems uh, underneath this kind of optimistic surface so i think that's some of the danger that perhaps is associated with it yeah and on the concept of smuggling and, and trojan horses the 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 idea of that it's a sort of neoliberal front is i think i think very common that you you sort of move in and you take some uh some local or state art functions and you rationalize it and you open it to the market and um that one of the things anyway that's going on is sort of taking funding away from certain areas and moving it to other areas and that there might be a sort of stealth privatization happening yeah i mean i, I guess you know again what one of the one of the issues if we start thinking about kind of um more uh, nebulous ideas about kind of the value of art and the value of culture if we start to repeatedly articulate that in terms of creative industries and creative occupations and economic output is that it becomes very easy if that is the rubric of value to determine whether something is is worth funding or not you know have the number of jobs gone up or not if it is about the number of jobs it's very clear to see that and if the number of jobs has gone down then you know what is the value in this if value is being understood in purely economic terms then you know it's it's very easy to make the case that other investments would give one a better return if this is purely being talked about in in you know those kinds of uh, those kinds of ways some of the stuff I referenced early on in the book is kind of um, uh, discussions from the kind of 1980s and even early 1990s in the UK of, of people talking about attempts to develop creative industries in kind of you know prominent cities in the UK as you know what what an unusual thing to be doing to be thinking about the art in terms of in terms of economic output and it seems that that switches very very quickly from what an unusual thing to be doing to of course one would do this and why isn't everybody doing this and in terms of that, I, the, those kind of economic output statistics, the, 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 I guess part of the reason that becomes an of course argument is that it seems very early on that you know there is this exceptional growth, there is this uh, exceptional number of jobs and uh, and gross value added and all these kinds of things. And part of what I try to do in in the book and in some other places is to get into that issue of definition get into that issue of disaggregation and say, well, some of the inclusions in this overall basket of activities seem quite unusual. But that said, if, you know, if we take things out and if we do just go back to, you know, the idea of a cultural sector or an artistic sector, you know, they don't, they aren't necessarily outperforming the rest of the economy spectacularly, but nor are they underperforming spectacularly. And it seems, you know, we could go back about 30 years and say, you know, I've got some amazing news about artistic activity in this country. It's doing just as well as the rest of the economy. It isn't a drain on resources. It isn't a waste of money. And people go, wow, what, what an excellent argument. But if the, if the terms of the argument have to be, you know, the arts and culture and creativity have to do 10 times as good as everything else, then even regular performance becomes a problem uh, by that rubric. So yeah, in terms of, you know be careful what you wish for um i suppose those those who live by the economic output statistics uh might might die by them as well so is that is that a kind of uh, a kind of way forward that you're suggesting there is to temper 
temper the the expectations about you know the the importance of of these things in economic terms and to supplement that with but it is they are still real jobs and maybe they do some other things which which are of benefit yeah i think i think i think part of the 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 difficulty is this strange um um, uh, kind of landscape that's that's grown up around the idea of what counts as evidence and what is important evidence and what is convincing evidence, because it's it seems to me that if 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 one kind of believes in you know the 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 transformational effect of art or culture or creativity, kind of a, a graph is not going to change your mind. Uh, you know, regardless of how good that pie chart is, if, if, if you believe it, you believe it. And if you don't believe it, you're probably not going to have your minds changed by certain kinds of evidence. And there seems to be increasing attempts to, to, to almost position what art is and what it can do um, as, as an unknown that, that research can, can kind of fill that gap um, so there was, I mean, there was recently and an on, ongoing really uh, in the UK, there was this um, kind of uh, whole bunch of research on the idea of, of cultural value. Um, you know, ha- what is cultural value? How can we articulate it? Um, how can we find out the things that culture does? And, you know, we might, again, to, to perhaps sound a little cynical, we might say, well, by 2019, you know, don't we know that by now? You know, haven't we been creating culture and art and being creative human beings for long enough now that that we know what that is? Um, and 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 I guess you know it, it it kind of sidesteps a lot of arguments around you know other other forms of value. I suppose again something something I touch on in the book is when we get into this idea of kind of economic value and and, and deciding and measuring economic value, you know. People, people being sick generates a lot of economic value. You know, doctors, pharmacies, drugs, all these kinds of things. But we don't think that people, generally, don't think that people being sick is a good idea. You know, that we can measure the economic output, we can look at the economic value, but that's not where the the real story is. So similarly, we can, you know, we can potentially try to measure the economic output of creativity and culture and these kinds of things, but that, you know, can't tell us we can't decide whether it's a good thing or a bad thing or worthwhile or not on that basis really you know there's there's other arguments to be had i i wanted to to to, to dip a little bit into this this constant pressure to and this constant uh, impulse to to quantify meticulously the number of people who feel 10% more engaged with their community after seeing uh, some opera yeah. and you know think things like this I'm, I'm i'm quite torn on this because it seems like there's a danger of um sort of essentializing and mystifying art uh, if if we if we say that it's a, it's a sort of unmeasurable uh, inherent good for the community it's is it possible to 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 neither think that art is some mystical thing that we could never really think rationally about um, and and nor to to become bean counters, you know, um, obsessed with with ticket sales. Yeah, I think I think there probably probably is a middle ground. Um, I think one of the issues is is that it is whilst it might not be kind of you know uh, uh, inherently mystical and spiritual and you know never pin downable thing, it is a difficult thing to understand. Um, it's difficult, and and also the effects 
that it can have can be can be so nebulous. Uh, again, you know, one gets a sense in some of the research in this area that you know the the kind of gold standard of of any research on any topic would be some kind of like randomized trial, and just as we could you know tr get some kind of medicine and treat some people, not treat others. Similarly, maybe we could you know give three people a kind of dose of art on one day and not the others and, and see what happens. And obviously, it's it's you know you know the testing drugs is not simple but you know trying to understand the effects that you know an artistic experience might have or might impact on somebody is potentially even more complicated because you know it varies person by person day by day uh you know if i'm in the wrong mood uh, you know one day even something that you know on another day i would think was brilliant i'm you know might not react to so there's this kind of radically open system which is very very difficult to pin down so it is it's a kind of real research challenge i think but that's not to say that well you know we just have to throw our hands up and say oh art is special and creative and magical and we can never know what's happening with it that said, uh, I think one, one of the things, again, in terms of that idea of persistence that I'm trying to nail down in the book is that it seems like there's been quite a long period in which people have said, ah, up until now, these problems haven't really been tackled, but we really need now to focus on, you know, despite these problems, we need to focus on building this evidence base. So when time comes to, you know, make the arguments in this particular area, we've got our ammunition and we're ready to go. And it seems like every few years, the same thing happens that we look back on the body of evidence that's there and say, oh, well, that didn't really work out last time. We need to really get on, on our game here, and make this evidence available. Now, I suppose I try to try and account for what the gaps are and, and, and why this seems to this kind of history seems to repeat itself over and over again so speaking of history repeating um what what do you see as the future for the creativity agenda um it seems to me that it's uh really just growing in its significance and and, and as you say this sort of ubiquitous nature of creativity being something that, that politicians can quite easily uh, support. Um, it seems like it's becoming a, a more common and a more prevalent and a more widely understood idea of this, this creativity agenda. Um, is this, is, do you see this continuing? And, and if it does continue, what sort of flavour do, do you see it having in the next you know, five to ten years? Uh, uh, an increasingly sour one. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think it will probably uh, taste quite similar uh, as it has up to now. Um, I think I think really so. Like where where the where the book ends is me saying, okay, well, th you know, this is a journey that we seem to have been on here. Uh, these are the things that seem to have been uh, quite prominent over this past twenty years. Where are we now? As I kind of finish this book at the turn of 2019 and in many ways you know I, I can look around without having to you know try very hard and see exactly the same things happening uh you know right here right now today not because i'm in a very unusual place at an unusual time but because these are very prominent arguments that will continue to be had in many many different locations and and partly you know i suppose you know some of this might have sounded quite quite uh you know i might have had my eyebrow raised and i might have been quite skeptical and I am, but you know, there's 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 real things going on here. You know, certainly, you know, whatever part of the creative sector or the cultural sector we look at, you know, there's there's been many many radical transformations. You know, in in this kind of twenty thirty year period, so 
in in some ways it would be unusual for us to think that that's suddenly going to stop very very quickly uh and that kind of all the benefits that uh, are associated with this or all the arguments that have kind of come to prominence are, are suddenly going to disappear very very quickly um i think i think partly um we're dealing with again you know just to focus on the uk case um focusing uh, we're, we're experiencing a kind of Difficult political climate that I know is the case in, you know, uh, certainly other parts of Europe, I think potentially in, in Australia as well from the, from the little I've read of what's going on over there in terms of constrained funding that, you know, seems to be, you know, it seems to be reasonable to think that this is where the kind of... Um, the kind of bedrock of the creative economy lies and what the soil in which it grows. So, you know, funding at local level uh, in the UK is, you know, is becoming uh, smaller and smaller as, as budgets get constrained. Um, the ability to experience art or music education in schools, that's being constrained. Uh, even, even budgets for some of the larger cultural organisations are, you know, standing still or moving backwards. So, you know, thinking about this in terms of that broader creative ecology, if it's harder to experience you know some of these creative practices in schools it's harder to study them at a higher education level it's harder to experience these things in certain local areas what knock-on effect that will have you know a few decades down the line might be you know something uh, a, a little more um a, well a little less optimistic but certainly for the time being i think we're going to see very similar arguments play out and just kind of uh, intensify and grow what's something that people always or frequently misunderstand about your work what people i think what people generally get wrong is is um something we've already covered so when when i try and get into those definitional issues and say we seem to have you know musicians uh, and, and and writers and filmmakers being put in the same kind of category as as programmers and, and this kind of thing people will often say like oh but like game computer games are creative websites are creative and they assume that by kind of taking issue with the it kind of thing that i'm taking issue with any kind of digital creativity rather than saying that you know well the people who i don't know write an algorithm to sort out one job application from another that's not necessarily the same as writing a film um you know that's it's it, it seems again it's that idea i guess that you know i i, I think probably Something that is hard to clear up is, you know, I, I try and raise the issue of create the language of creativity causing people to talk at cross purposes, and then I talk at cross purposes with people. So it's it's kind of kind of unavoidable. And it, and it's almost it's almost slander to to suggest that this or that activity uh, maybe isn't particularly creative. Well, I, I mean, you know, it, the, the, all the different definitions that have come up over the years. I mean, you know, uh, thinking for oneself. Uh, you know, apply, applying um, applying rules, but without having to be told what the rules are, or you know, managing one's own time in this kind of way. All all the kinds of things I do as a lecturer. I think you know, surely, surely I am one of these hallowed creatives but it, it turns out I'm, I'm never i'm never invited to uh, the creativity party so maybe i'm just bitter about that maybe that's what it is <laughs> and what is next for you uh do you have another book uh on the stove so well, at, at the moment because uh, all of those issues around creative work went 
problematic enough. Uh, what I'm doing at the moment is uh, a piece of research with some colleagues both at the University of Liverpool and in Queen's University in Belfast and at Ulster University. And we're looking at kind of, you know, this whole picture in terms of like, you know, what, what can artistic activity achieve and how can we know? But what we're doing is looking at that in the context of work that has been funded by a range of bodies in the context of Northern Ireland, in the context of a kind of society moving uh, out of conflict and a sense that kind of various types of artistic activity can help deal with that kind of post-conflict environments and we're trying to understand kind of what work has been funded what we know about it what people think they're achieving uh, what you know what might be happening in that space and uh, yeah if 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 creativity is uh, problematic throwing in uh, kind of a massive uh, conflict into the mix is is proving uh, equally as uh, intellectually stimulating <laughs> Thank you.